Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Hey there, Todd. Hello, Mark. You know, with all this coronavirus stuff going around and yes. COVID-19, I was actually at Rite Aid yesterday and I, I asked uh, one of the workers, um, what kills COVID-19 uh, virus? And uh, she said, ammonia cleaner. Hmm. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you worked here. Ammonia cleaner. Ammonia <laughs> cleaner. Ammonia cleaner. I'm what? I'm only a cleaner. <laughs> I'm only a, no. Wow. Okay. Should we, okay. Knock knock. Should we restart? I don't. No no no. Oh hi Mark. <laughs> That's so soft. Knock knock. Who uh, who's there? Ammonia cleaner. Hike. Oh no. I know where it's going. How do I stop this? I can't. Hike who? Fresh green buds appear, indicating spring will soon energize us all. After the break, we're going to interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. <laughs> so uh, that is one of my that. favorite all-time <laughs> news blunders ever. And I just found the rest of this clip. Oh, wow. Which is, and I don't know that it has audio, so I'll turn it around, but it, it shows the guy. So the, the, the story behind this clip is it's a, it's a news anchor throwing to a story um, to a guy that's talking to a lady on the streets or whatever, where she, where, or the Eric Weihenmayer, who just climbed, climbed Mount Everest, okay. except for the fact that he's gay, excuse me, <laughs> blind. blind. So she's throwing to this other reporter for the story and says this and so what we're going to watch now which obviously is not going to translate over <laughs> podcast is the blind guy's reaction to hearing her say but he's gay uh, he's gay excuse me he's blind so here we go so we'll hear about that coming okay. up okay as we head to the break a look at the six o'clock hour drug testing our youth so here they're just <laughs> showing, showing them talking. Phil, you got a wife and a kid. Before the camera comes on. Oh my God. Wait a second. That's not even funny. <laughs> He's just standing there with a shocked look on his face. I got friends. I got friends. Albuquerque. You got friends with Albuquerque. And he said, I should tell my wife and kid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that is just one of the all-time greats of... It's amazing. Uh, yeah, so how have you been? I, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> there has been too much change in my life lately, not just with the time change, which I kind of remembered today. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of even more while I'm thrown off. But I've realized in the last, I'd say, five or six months... I have gotten gotten <laughs> have gotten dumber. <laughs> I have gotten a uh, I had to get a new phone, so I upgraded my phone. I had to get a new car, new or new a new to me car. And yesterday I had to go get a new computer. 
When was the last time you legitimately turned off your computer? <laughs> on purpose? On purpose. So this last time on Saturday, I was forced to to shut and, it down. And before that? Before that, it had been... Oh, it only it had only been like three weeks, but before that three weeks, it had been like six months because it happened. It's the problem that the computer, this computer screen wouldn't come on and uh, there's something wrong with the graphics card. And so every time you would sh restart the computer, the computer would shut down. The screen wouldn't come on and you just have to keep restarting and then opening and shutting the laptop. And then eventually it would randomly come on. So but I finally... Uh, I finally had to pull the trigger because it happened again this weekend when the, You're the whole a thing. New man, not yet. I'm using my trusty old computer right now, which has all of my wonderful ports that I don't need any adapter yet for. Um, I've only yeah, I've only been up and up and going on the computer for like I would say less than two hours. So there's a lot of changes. A shout out, and I'll give you a shout out at the end of the the episode to the uh, the not nerd podcasts host uh, Dave and Nate have been brunting. Mark knows what it's like about maybe two or three times a year. I have some sort of not really meltdown, but just sort of anxiety riddled thing where I go back and forth a thousand times with a bunch of <laughs> rantings and ravings. So yeah. Mark has been spared this time sort of for that. <laughs> so I've been giving that to to um, uh, to Nate and and Dave. But I mean, seriously, thank for that. They do the podcast called Not Nerd and, and we've talked about them many times, but they are <clears throat> awesome. They love getting... <laughs> Maybe not for me. They love getting <laughs> questions from people and like people asking them what mm -hmm. they should buy and what direction to go. They're they're very much focused on technology for just like regular, regular. I was gonna say morons like me, morons like me, but also <laughs> regular people who are not morons, but just not super into the nitty gritty of tech. So don't forget to check them out and don't get their text, don't get their uh, phone numbers so that you can text them over and over. They're regretting that decision. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of, a lot of new phone who dis from, <laughs> from them in a second, but thanks. Thanks to them. Uh, any, what about with, 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 uh, you, how, how are you surviving the time change? It's well, I, I told you last night, like literally. So yesterday was, was the, beginning of daylight saving time and it, nice singular and at like nine o'clock p.m nick and i realized i think he was on the phone with somebody who was talking about it we didn't notice something uh, uh, awry <clears throat> but we had not known that the time changed because all of the devices in our world with the exception of the oven, yeah. the stove, uh, you know, clock, every other clock is automated, and so the my Apple Watch and the phone and the computers and the TVs, the TVs and the, and the, and the everything and... else up to up to date automatically. And so we went out to lunch, uh, thinking it was, it, I mean, thinking the, it, yeah, it was eleven o'clock in daylight saving time, yeah. but but. The rest of the world was slowly approaching eleven o'clock as they were getting caught up, and That's so the an restaurant mind hack to see if we suffer from the effects of changing the time if we're not aware, aware the time has changed. Right, and so we went out to lunch, ten o'clock our body time, and uh, it's kind of late brunch yeah. kind of thing, and uh, we're like, wow, you know, the coronavirus has taken away. <laughs> 
is really impacting their business. It's, you know, we walked right in. We got a seat. Normally, there's like a half an hour, 45 minute wait. And uh, especially during that peak hour. And we're like, well, you know, it's, it's dim sum. It's Chinese, you know, big groups of people definitely may be affected by, uh, right. you know, the current um, uh, swing of things. And uh, it it's mostly just that we didn't realize that the time had changed. That's so funny. I do notice less and less because it used to be funny uh, in my Sunday school class, the people that show up at the wrong time for service because they all forgot to set their clock backs or whatever. And right. like that's not a problem anymore right. for the most part. So I had to change the microwave clock. Um, I had just a, like a wall <clears throat> clock that runs on batteries and my car. I guess. We've, yeah. That's we've about talked it. about this before. And where, my be, and my beta max player. Right. <laughs> I had to change. We've talked about this before. Like back in the day, there was a phone number that you could call to synchronize with time. Right. And at the tone, the time yeah. would be 1147 and 30 seconds. Ding. Beep. And uh, that, that went away. But there was a period in the late 90s. I think it was late 90s where... Um, didn't have all the technology that auto updated all the all the clocks. You still updated your clock on your computer because there wasn't a a time server that you were synchronizing oh, okay. with. And I do remember that one of my first Macs, yeah. their clock would slowly, yeah, like, over time it would like eventually be like four minutes early or four mm-hmm. minutes late or whatever. Right. And I bought a clock that used a radio to synchronize with a radio signal that kept it exactly on time. And it was revolutionary in our house. We're like, because this clock was always exactly on On time. time. And that was brand new to us, you know, and you know, I'm old. (laughs) It does kind of bug me because I, I typically run my clocks fast. The, my clock next to my bed is 13 minutes fast. It's 13 because it's too hard for me to do math in the morning to like try to cheat to, well, if I sleep 10 more minutes, oh wait, but then what real time is it? Uh, oh no. And then, and my car clock is four minutes fast and I always do that on purpose. So it's interesting now more and more that these things have little restraints like that, that right. we can't, like I'm struggling with using my iPod shuffle with my new Mac and it's like all of this old technology, we're just not allowed to have control or use because we're not doing doing it the way that they want us to do it and oh what a time to be alive (laughs) (laughs) ntp servers have have improved our lives yes well let's uh plunge on forward doctors try the first crisper editing in the body for blindness so a patient recently had it done at the kci institute at Oregon Health and Sciences University in Portland uh, for a form of inherited blindness. It may take up a month, uh, up to a month to see uh, if it worked. Uh, if the first few attempts seem safe, doctors plan to test it on at least, um, uh, test it on 18 children and adult. Test on 18 children sounds terrible. Um, quote, we literally have the potential to take people who are essentially blind and make them see. Uh, so obviously for people who have um, like the one kid that I worked with who's, totally blind like not no light anything like this would not work on him but for people who it sounds like have limited vision but still a little bit of vision 
Um, they tried gene editing for the same thing because it's an inherited disease. And they tried, they tried uh, in the body gene editing using a tool called Zinc Fingers. Zinc which fingers. needs a marketing team to not call it zinc fingers. <laughs> um, but now they're using CRISPR because it's much easier for locating and cutting DNA in a specific spot. So um, wow. exciting news from uh, OHSU. So, well, should we, do you have anything? I've got a couple okay, little, cool. little ones. Uh, so I, I can't recall if we talked about this maybe offline, but uh, SpaceX is now open basically a SpaceX rideshare. Okay, no, uh, we didn't talk about Okay, this. so SpaceX, you can literally go to rideshare.spacex.com and get a quote. As I do, like any <clears throat> fool falling fool for marketing. What is it? Marketing? Rideshare.spacex.com. Rideshare.spacex.com. So if you've got okay. a payload that you want to get to space, this is the form you fill out. And... Uh, it's, uh, the price starts at a million bucks for, uh, I think it's, uh, 20 kilos, which is like 40 pounds. Uh, so if you have a 40 pound mini satellite, so, you know, two pugs strapped together, (laughs) uh, what would that look like in zero gravity? (laughs) Just lots of rippling. A lot of rippling. Yeah. And, um, or would they be huge? Cause their skin would sort of like. (laughs) kind of inflates Inflate. like a balloon sort of <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm at rideshare program or rideshare.spacex.com and so i'm going to choose from which orbit i want to go to yeah so which which orbit do you want uh well i have sso leo and the polar are my three so, so leo is what low the earth middle, the lower range th- low earth orbit but then sso was is marked first, so you think then that would be the lowest sun synchronized. I, I don't think oh. it is that way. Sun synchronized orbit, and then uh, the third one was geo polar polar. So, um, so this must go around the poles. Goes around the poles. Okay, so yep. I want to do it no earlier than uh, seven of twenty twenty, and my in I need forty kilograms. Is that what I need? Uh, 20. 20. 20 well, I'll do 40. You know, what if I want okay. to send four pugs? So let's see if estimated price. Oh, only 1 million. Yeah. So yeah. let's send 500 kilograms. Now it's 2.5 million. All right. So bulk, that's a buy in thousand bulk. pounds. Yeah. So yeah, you think about it, like that's that's a sizable little, you know, it's a sizable amount of pugs that we can put <laughs> into orbit a for a reasonable price of 2.5 million. Yeah. Uh, and so you can put in your credit card. Put down five thousand dollars to secure the uh, the process, and then they take three installments up to uh, r- until they secure the uh, launch date, basically, and you can get your project launched into space. Wow! So, but then once it's it just is let loose in space, so uh, like I can technically send my iPod shuffles into lower orbit. Just to have them there forever. I'm sure that you could just there dump, are... dump garbage up there. <laughs> That's the American way. <laughs> I will mark this place by putting trash here. <laughs> uh, yes. I guess I need to strap the shovels to a brick though, because they're not very heavy. So, I'm sure that there are guidelines <laughs> for uh, for uh, you know what you can do. What you can do. I imagine track that's it. true. But um, well, that's pretty reasonable then. I mean, yeah. You, when you think about a Super Bowl ad being five million dollars, right? 
versus you can get stuff into space for a million. Right. So that's pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's go to, as I cough, uh, the coronavirus. So um, whatever I'm going to say here is going to be instantly outdated by the time this comes out, even if I put this out live right now. <laughs> right. But there's a, just a couple big things. Emerald City Comic Con, which is a huge comic convention in Seattle, was finally called off. There was a lot of vendors and creators that were dropping out of that. Um, so just a reminder, if uh, you like a certain creator of some sort, go buy stuff from their stores right now because most of the people invest a ton of money in their shows and it's just people like Brian and like people like me who save up all year to do this and it's suddenly you don't have that anymore and you don't have the sales you were hoping from that one thing. So go support a local creator. Uh, South by Southwest was also canceled. Pretty much everything. <clears throat> Brian was telling me yesterday um, uh, that he's got a business trip in like two weeks and I'm like, really? Yep, right. <laughs> so, well, that'll be interesting to see that. He's supposed to go to Washington, D.C. Right. Everybody there has, I was going to say SARS, that's not right, COVID. COVID-19. 19, all the Republicans all the have Republicans, it, apparently. Yeah, because they went to CPAC. And uh, yeah, the uh, uh, Italy just released a bunch of uh, new regulations trying to curb the, uh, you know, they're basically quarantining North Italy, uh, right were riots about 40 miles away from where we lived. And, is that and where everything. big cities are? Is that why it's spreading or is it tour? Like how, no, why there? Do no, we know? Well, there was, uh, they don't know who patient zero was, but patient one was uh, not diagnosed yet. And he was wildly social. And so <laughs> he was a, like a marathon runner and uh, partook in that and then went to the after party. Like the most gregarious then, person on earth. Totally. And that like, and so he attended multiple He's large Nick events. at a party for Nick. <laughs> right. All over Italy. It yeah. All over Northern Italy. And so that was the hotspot. And then there, there was bungling of uh, quarantine and uh, it just, has this quarantine stuff and i don't know i mean obviously because this next story i was going to roll into was that there was supposed to be one of the um big cruise ships parked over here in astoria that just have a bunch of passengers on it that are all sick um actually it's mostly the crew uh, but now that has been headed to oakland, oakland. yeah so um docking today uh the number blah 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 let's see so it after struggling to contain an outbreak the cruise ship will hit the port of oakland on monday uh, at least 21 people aboard that cruise ship te tested positive. Of those, 19 are crew members. Uh, so it's been in limbo for a while. So, like, I was thinking, so I went on a cruise this past, uh, this last summer. So, like, if my ship was quarantined, I just lose my jobs and life? Yes. Like. Yeah. And, and that's... what is, is, what is the plan? <laughs> This is part of the domino effect that we we were starting to to chat about before the show is, uh, especially with the United States state of healthcare support for Americans and lack of job uh, like entitlements for uh, time off and sick, sick leave, leave and and those kind of things. Just most of America is underinsured. <clears throat> And in jobs that just don't have, you know, luxurious right. support. They're at Applebee's. Yeah, they're, they're at, at, at right. 
And so if you don't go to work, you don't get paid and that's it. Like that's, that's the whole thing. Right. And so, well, and even like me, I mean, I don't work for someone. I work for myself and every time right. I'm not, every hour I'm not making money, I'm not making money. Right. And so it, I was exactly. thinking about that. I was like, oh my gosh. And all the children will go uncared for, right. but like that. And it's like, well, well yes. I live on a boat now. Right. So yes, <laughs> this is my life. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that domino effect, and that's why, uh, the presidential administration is doing things to say words that indicate that everything's fine because you don't want that domino effect happening. And the unfortunate consequence of that is people, many people aren't taking it seriously because, oh, you know, well, literally the CDC says the numbers are going to go up. And then the administration gets in front of the microphone and says, no, 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 numbers are going down. Uh, we've got this under control. The The economic uh, advisor said that... It's like in the it, naked in naked gun things. where that fireworks factories explode. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen is like, please disperse. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Right. And because... Well, and yeah. I mean... I really don't want to get political know, and we usually don't, but it is an unfortunate reality that a large percentage of the people that worked in pandemics and infectious diseases at the CDC were all fired. fired. Yeah. So, and that was when last summer where we would have been, you know, getting ready for Before. something like this. Right. So Yay. anyway, but there is good news uh, beforehand and right now you're you're playing with your hand sanitizer which we're surrounded by I'm, I'm sure thanks to Nick I'm surprised there's not just a fine mist like you know when you go either to an outdoor festival or like a, a dairy in the summer and they have the misters yeah. it's just that Purell but soap works so much better against both the the covid sars and uh, the coronavirus because it's self it, uh, soap is a self assembled nanoparticle in which the uh the weakest link is a is a fatty bilayer which they call it but it's a, basically a lipid and um so when you use soap and this is I'm kind of condensing this from a very long like 29 part twitter rant but basically when you use soap because soap has a lipid base and the viruses are made out of a lipid that helps hold them together when you use a soap it literally destroys the nanoparticles of that virus like the virus just comes apart it cannot hold itself together because it's not it's not meant to hold itself together it's only supposed to do that temporarily as it infests you know whatever host it's going into um, and while hand sanitizers with uh, the alcohol base can be uh, a little bit effective, they're not nearly as effective. I'm trying to find um, the numbers on that. But um, and different surfaces, the 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 more uh, the more smooth the surfaces, the the less. Uh, the virus can stick to obviously so things like car it kept calling out wood in this article hmm. and i was like just eyeing my wood pile uh, but like wood fabric and skin uh fairly uh interact strongly with these viruses whereas steel porcelain and some plastics um don't but um 
it's basically going to the chemical, you know, makeup of what these viruses are. Um, and while the disinfectants and antibacterial contain high percentage of alcohol, typically 60 to 80 percent or or 60 percent uh, of ethanol, um, it just does not readily form hydrogen bonds with the virus. Um, and so it will kind of eventually kill it. But all they do um, is they don't actually destroy the virus. So continue to just use your soap. Don't touch your eyeballs and face. I realize how often I do that when we have things like this where they say don't touch your face. And I realize that I may as well just be constantly just like rubbing my hands all over my face all of the time. But there was there was a super clip the other night uh, at the end of one of the shows, maybe uh, the Daily Show. And they did all of the public announcements by you know, mayors and, and politicians and like, and the best thing to, and CDC workers, you know, the best thing to do is not to touch your face and not to fits. And then uh, a moment later, them touching their face and, you know, uh, I think she licking, licked her finger, licked her finger and then, then <laughs> de Blasio is, t- you know, rubbing his nose and then his eyes and you know, the whole thing. Yeah. It's just like, just licking we're someone's just face. And that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. So, but yeah, just be careful. Preventative stuff. Um, uh oh, patient, patient one, patient one. Here I am <laughs> of the market dog has. But yes, things will be, things will be as things will be. Keep your hands washed. Yep. Um, I got one other uh, project. Pele, have you heard about, about I have this? Not. So uh, the Defense Department is exploring the use of small nuclear reactors on military bases as means of creating an autonomous power supply for installations that may be affected by downed electrical grids. So basically they're looking to make portable nuclear power plants. Oh wow. To deploy at remote uh locations locations that don't have, you know, power right. consistently. And so like Or like if there's a hurricane, hurricane you bring that into the relief, exactly. Of... And so uh two megawatt uh, reactors. So on the one point twenty one gigawatts. One point <laughs> one point twenty two. Oh. <laughs> this, this one's even, even bigger. Bigger. Yeah. So uh, two meg uh, two megawatt reactors. So on uh, the small submarine that we had, we had a fairly modest size reactor, which was seventy eight megawatts, which powers a uh, you know four hundred foot steel pipe through the ocean. Uh, pretty rapidly. Uh, and so two megawatts is uh, enough for a small neighborhood, you know, uh, mm-hmm. doing or all the community. things. Yeah, a small community. So a little military base. Uh, so deployed. how would that? So what they've done is they've got, uh, uh, they put grants out to public companies to um, to plant, to basically have a contest. And so three companies have been granted uh, a, a total of like $40 million uh, split between them to now research and come up with the best uh, overall plan over this next 18 months. And then over the following two years, they will be uh, building the winner of the plans phase of the thing. So. They've got three contestants working right now at 
uh, power plant. So they don't know what it looks like yet. Well, this sounds a whole lot like... You are fake news. Like, I can run a contest <laughs> to say that... So, I will invent a mini nuke. Yeah, give me your ideas, well, and maybe it will work. Well, there are, there are, like, or are uh, they like on the way there? There's, there's already small nuclear reactors, uh, okay. and, and so like, uh, literally on um, the the Apollo Eleven mission, there's a, a nuclear power plant as part oh, wow. of uh, a nu- nuclear fuel cell uh, <clears throat> that's that's part of the. Okay, so that uh, part already exists. Those already exist. Okay. So they're looking for... I thought ha- it was just a sly way for them to be like, they were sitting around a conference, I am all out of ideas. <laughs> I know, let's let's have a contest. <laughs> New idea contest. <laughs> uh, no, so small small reactors exist. There's one at Reed College in, in Portland. We've talked about that before. It, it lights all their it. bongs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the... And so they're looking to design a mobile, super safe, uh, practical. I was gonna say if it's like if they're somewhat widespread, they must be super safe. If like I'd never even really heard of the idea that they might exist, let alone at a right. hippie college. Right? Huh? That's fascinating. Hmm. Interesting. Nuclear power. Nuclear way, power. Way of the future. All right. Well, police in Oregon say a man was robbed at a donut shop with a hatchet, but he was found eating a donut. So uh, this is from the Portland Police Bureau. The uh, the bureau didn't say what donut shop was robbed, but the Oregonian reported it was Voodoo Donuts. So while officers were responding to what was originally called a disturbance with an axe, uh, the suspect left the donut shop on foot. The officers found James... Um, who was not, oh, James, yes, who was the suspect about a block away eating a donut and holding a pink box from the donut <laughs> shop. So this incredibly <laughs> elusive <laughs> article. Um, anyway, then it, then the next sentence after it says, uh, holding a pink box, the U.S. Navy is quietly developing robot submarines. So I Perfect. think I forgot to put a story break in there. <laughs> so anyway... Voodoo Donuts making the news. So let's move on to that story. The U.S. Navy is quietly developing armed robot submarines controlled by onboard artificial intelligence. The vessels could potentially kill without explicit human control. So the Office of Naval Research is carrying out the project known as CLAWS, which describes which it describes in budget documents as an autonomous, yeah, autonomous undersea weapons system for clandestine use. So that's what that doesn't even stand for claws. That says A A U W S C stands for claws, uh, but claws will quote increase mission areas into kinetic effects. Say the document. Hmm. Well, okay, let's unpack that. Increase mission areas into kinetic effects. So to moving parts, you will increase or you will you will make bigger make it there. the size of the field and turn them into moving parts. Huh. Hmm. Well, oh, here we go. This says the documents. Military speak for so yeah, any guesses for destroying things. <laughs> Increase mission areas into kinetic effects. Now I get the kinetic effects, That's which too, just means 
blow things a up. A lot of move, small moving pieces oh. exploding. Okay. Increase mission areas. That doesn't make any sense. Well, huh. I don't know. Well, anyway, claws. It's on its way uh, to apparently do that in an area near you. So <laughs> watch out for a kinetic effects. Ah. Hello. 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 We're still recording. I scrolled too far. Uh, so Google, this was a whole article that was kind of done as like a, a first person, not a first person count, but an, a long, long, long piece that tells this whole story. But basically, Google tracked his bike ride past a burglarized home, and that made him a suspect. So this guy named Zachary oh, McCoy yeah. um, got an email uh, as he was about to leave his job, it was from Google's lead investigation support team writing to let him know that a local police had demanded information related to his Google account. The company said it would release the data unless he went to court and tried to block it. And he only had seven days. So he quick researched what the case number was and found a one page investigation report on the burglary of an elderly woman 10 months earlier. The crime had occurred less than a mile from the home that McCoy um Shared with two others. So and then it goes on to Google geofencing and uh, warrants that have uh, been asked by county police and the FBI. Uh, Google said in court filings last year that requests from state and federal law enforcement authorities were increasing rapidly by 1,500 percent. So and by 500 percent in 2018, 2019. So a retired lieutenant with the Milwaukee Police Department says it's a great tool. <laughs> <laughs> say the authorities. <laughs> uh, they Milwaukee police have used Google geofence warning uh, warrants to solve an array of crimes, including uh, homicide shootings, robberies, kidnaps, blah blah blah. Um, I he said I would l I would think the majority of citizens in the world would who are white would love the fact that we're putting violent offenders in jail <laughs> based on where they're walking around. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean. So this month I have to, and maybe I shouldn't should admit this because it'll be admissible in court later. But um, for one of the many jobs that I have, which I have in several different industries, um, they are wanting to require software and apps on my phone that re require me to to do things f for that. <laughs> it's not a private employer. Right. So they're tracking you. Yes, yes. they they're basically tracking for your job. like literal yep. tracking thing. Yep. And so I have to write a letter this month to ask to be excused from having to do that. Um, so if you're innocent, you don't have anything to hide. I have nothing to hide. All I have is a flip phone. <laughs> uh -huh. You can't put an app on my flip phone. Anyway, that's all I had. Do you have anything else? Nope. Nope. Um, well, we're not going to go to Brian, but it was fun. Um, let's see. I guess I can play a little bit of... Um, I did the uh, photo shoot with him uh, yesterday on the Burnside Bridge. And I was shocked that for the first time in since I moved here in 1999, the Burnside Bridge is no longer under construction of any kind. There is not an orange cone <laughs> to be seen. There is not a portable light thing. There is... It is open. And it's weird. Like in my mental map, that road does not exist to take that way. You would be proud of me. So uh, this morning on my Reddit feed showed the opening day of 
the Burnside Bridge Whoa. back in 1928. 28. And, or 26 or 28, whatever it was. And uh, read one of the top comments down there. Um, oh, I have to do your stupid backwards finger scrolling. The right way. <laughs> it's yeah. only been under construction for 94 years. <laughs> Seems longer. <laughs> That's my comment. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> wow. Look at you and your six points so far. All the karmas. That's that's really funny. Wow, what an interesting. You can see the steeples of the Lutheran <clears throat> Church in the background. Wow, that's so crazy. I mean, it must be. Wouldn't it have been like in retrospect, says Captain Hindsight, to just in the year two thousand just have built another bridge? Like everyone deals with there not being a bridge for a year, we get a new bridge. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's I mean how complicated I mean I know it's very complicated although still not complicated it was built a hundred years ago so well, like complicated I get it well remember of. it does it does go over I5 the um, the max and boats <laughs> And well, they replaced the whole Ross like, Island Bridge, which I know is different, but I mean, still, maybe the the uh, Selwood Bridge. You just yeah, the Selwood Bridge, yeah. which was cool because I got to watch. They just like move, built one next to it, and then moved the new bridge into place, which right. was so crazy. But I don't know. It's 2020. We can we can have a things. new bridge. We could we could do something. Just helicopter one in exactly. We could have SpaceX <laughs> drop one from orbit <laughs> for a million dollars. All right. Well, today's topic is kind of out of left field, and I don't think you even know it yet, unless you I don't read down in the. I didn't. I don't. You think didn't you shared it with me or something. I didn't. Oh, I did, it. but so long ago that's been buried under whatever else is in your Google Docs. So. But he's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. And so we'll fact, hear about that coming. Okay. Out. The fact that she break, says it a second time is what made. Not just oh my gosh, blind. He's gay. He's gay. Excuse me, he's blind. <laughs> you were saying early, like what, what? What piece of her mind was thinking about what during that to like <laughs> to get there? Get those two words. Yep. Anyway, I wanted to talk about the Mona Lisa, which is uh, the most famous uh, piece of artwork on Earth. Everybody knows the Mona. We've seen it a million times. It's been used in market. It's been like when you think of art. Right. In that context, you think the Mona Lisa. It's right. something that everyone knows. And it's always been intriguing to me um, because even uh, Leonardo da Vinci, like I, I like some of his other stuff better. Like why, why the Mona Lisa? Why is this the, the piece of vaunted art that it has become? Right. And it's kind of an interesting story. So I wanted to kind of dig back into the history of the Mona Lisa and uh, why it's become... Uh, what it is today and kind of a teaser it does not get world famous until 1911 hmm. so it was world famous among scholars and painters and stuff like that mm -hmm. but not the man on the street so that's the tease for the middle of the story where there's mm. going to be a little twist so um, the title of the uh, the um, the painting uh, is the is the Mona Lisa of course and it was Mona Lisa the subject was the wife of um, someone named Francesco del Giocondo uh, who lived in Italy uh, I was telling you before I watched this special on YouTube last night that uh, 
some of the information may have been dubious about it, but um, one of the ad, for the longest time it wasn't really known who the subject matter was. Right. Leonardo did not paint a whole lot of portraits. He didn't finish a lot of his portraits. It, they were mostly, you know, sketches and maybe the eyes were filled into detail. But everybody's been curious why this woman who looks more like a peasant, it wasn't a queen, it wasn't a regal subject. Um, but some investigation found that uh, the subject of the Mona Lisa lived across the street from da Vinci's father, Da Vinci's father was a very famous notary, so oh, you have a future in nice. front of you as world-famous notary yes. Mark Middleton. Come to him for all your notar- notarization needs. Um, apparently, yeah. they had more power back then, I think. Yeah. Um, so they lived across the street from Leonardo's uh, father, and so maybe knew him that way. But it was a commissioned portrait by uh, Francesco of his wife, um, who, and they're, they're wondering if maybe it was before she gave birth. Um, the Mona Lisa, Mona is an Italian, uh, a polite form of address, meaning ma'am or madame or m'lady. If you're a creepy internet basement person, you can go with m'lady, with the uh, which eventually turned into the word Madonna, which uh-huh. is not specifically for the mother of Christ, but kind of as a, an elevated holy, Madre of, yeah, holy, yeah, yeah. more of a holy figure. And that was kind of the mm. confusion too, because when you look at the Mona Lisa, um, there's some details about it, like how her hair is straight, um, which would be something that they said that they brought in a hair care, like expert who like knew different periods, uh, different eras of history, like what would be possible with what they had for hair and all that. So the straight shoulder length hair indicated either a, a holy type person or a painting that was done after somebody's death. And I'm not sure how she determined that, but um, probably because hair was a little bit more wild back then and they didn't have conditioners and all that stuff to put in their hair. But um, it was painted in 1503, but that was not confirmed until about 2005. And it was confirmed because some guy was reading some uh, texts from Cicero, the, the ancient Roman philosopher. And in the margins of one of these Cicero books, somebody like literally just wrote in the side a whole description uh, this happened in 1477, wrote a whole description of the Mona Lisa. Uh, that guy's name was uh, Agostino Vespucci. Um, and so that helped confirm the dates and that, and they can now track the different things in the pigments. They can yeah. get like the technology that I was watching about, like how they photograph, and I'll get into it a little bit later, you can find all the different layers of paint behind it. So you can see like the things they started and changed. They can see basically the sketches that the artist did, the types of it's really amazing. So um, it's from 1503. The painting was one of the first portraits to depict a sitter in front of an imaginary landscape. Uh, And Da Vinci was one of the first painters to use aerial perspective. Uh, He chose to place the horizon at the neck, um, or not at the neck, but on level with the eye, thus linking the figure with the landscape and emphasizing the mysterious nature of the painting. Uh, this is, remember when I was laughing a lot before when I was yeah. researching, so this was the sentence. So Leonardo probably, this this intellectual paper says, Leonardo probably painted his model faithfully since her beauty is not seen as being among the best, quote, even measured by their standards or even 21st century standards. <laughs> 
Oh, that is like <laughs> throwing historical shade. slam that like you so ugly, not even in your time were you attractive. Um, but uh, Lisa Del Giocondo, who was the uh, the model, uh, was the wealthy of the uh, a wife of the wealthy uh, merchant Francesco. Um, but there's also some debate as to how many Mona Lisa's Da Vinci painted because, um, oh, uh, Raphael, who was, uh, kind of a student of Leonardo da Vinci, uh, made a sketch that looks exactly like the Mona Lisa. It's unfinished, like a pencil sketch. Mona Lisa looks significantly younger and there's some pillars in the background, which led to some debate because in the real Mona Lisa that we know, um, or is it the real one? Is it? Uh, the one that we know, the, you can't really see the, uh, the pillars in the background. It's like. She's sitting in a pat, you know, kind of a patio with two big Roman columns in the background that you see past. You don't really see that in Da Vinci's um, final one. And so um, they're wondering whether they made two versions um, because one of Leonardo's uh, students uh, had had one of them after um, his death, after Da Vinci's death in 1524. But then there was a second one, which would have been sold to somebody else. And that second one is in the Louvre today. It's not the one Mm. owned by his pupil after his death. Um, So there's some controversy, as the British would say, about is this the only one. Over the years, there have been a couple other very similar paintings. They found one that's in Russia that until a couple of years ago they thought maybe was another version of it, but it turns out that it was probably be uh, probably painted by one uh, another one of uh, Da Vinci's kind of pupils to kind of you know I'm sure to practice his style and stuff like that. Right. So until recently that was thought. Um, uh, so it was in the French Revolution. Let's see. Here's kind of the journey it it took. Um, so the one lived today. Others believe that there's only one Mona Lisa, blah, blah, blah. The famed painting was kept at the Palace of Fontainebleau uh, before it was moved to the Palace of Versailles. Uh, It was in Napoleon's bedroom for a while, um, but then moved to the Louvre um, in 1797. Um, And it kind of moved around every couple of times during the wars. They would take it to a different museum and protect it from there. And it went on a couple traveling exhibitions, which I'll get to a couple highlights of how it was almost destroyed a couple of times by carting it around the world. Um, So today, the Mona Lisa is considered the most famous painting in the world. But like I said, until 1911, it was more or less just in um, the intelligentsia uh, as as opposed to the to the. general public. So on August 21, 1911, the painting was stolen. Oh, I I have my... Uh, and it was noticed the next day by a painter that came to study it and, and sketch it (laughs) because nobody at the museum noticed until that guy sat down and saw just like an hey. empty space in between. Hey. Yeah. Because now, the now which I've never... Have you ever gone to the Louvre? No. And then, I, I haven't either. Um, and we'll get to kind of some, some Louvre statistics later. But it wasn't... Right now, it's in its own spot. You know, it's not around it. Back then, it was just kind of in between a bunch of other paintings. And other paintings were way more popular. And the general public, public didn't even go to see the Mona Lisa. Um, 
So it was stolen after some confusion as to whether the painting was being photographed somewhere. The Louvre was closed for a week for investigation. Uh, a couple people came under suspicion. Uh, French poet uh, Guillaume Oppen... Guillaume A, I will call him, <laughs> uh, who implicated his friend Pablo Picasso. Both were later exonerated for that. The real culprit was employee Vincenzo Perugia, who had helped construct the painting's glass case. Oh. He was the classic burglar who uh, entered the bur- uh, building during regular hours and hid in a broom closet and then walked out with a painting hidden under his coat after the museum had nice. closed. So the reason he did this was because he was an Italian patriot who believed that Leonardo's painting should have been returned to an Italian museum. So uh, it was all about patriotism and return. Patriotism. Patriotism. uh, And getting it back to Italy. So uh, he kept it in his apartment for two years and was finally caught while he attempted to sell it to one of the uh, gallery directors in Florence who said, we will not stand for this stolen art. And they exhibited it for two weeks (laughs) before they (laughs) sent it back to the Louvre uh, in 1914. So while during this two weeks, there is just a media frenzy. And so now the Mona Lisa's face is splashed on every page in the world as we all follow this famous art kidnapping. And then it turns into this politicized thing where there's a big trial in Italy and he's expounding on how the art should stay. You know, all of this stuff is just worldwide. He eventually gets uh, six months in jail. So not too harsh of a sentence for uh, kidnapping the Mona Lisa Uh, There's been a couple other attacks on it. In 1956, uh, a Bolivian threw a rock at the Mona Lisa while it was on display at the Louvre. Uh, He did it with so much force that it shattered the glass case and dislodged some of the pigment. Um, The painting was protected by glass because a few years before that, a man who claimed to be in love with the painting had it cut with a razor blade and tried to steal it. So since then, bulletproof glass has been uh, protecting the painting. Um, it was uh, in Tokyo on, on loan in 1974 when a woman sprayed it with red paint as a protest against the museum's failure Jeez. to provide access for disabled people. I wonder if they had wow. it on display really low so she <laughs> can spray paint it from her wheelchair oh. too soon. And on the sidewalk in front of the steps, she couldn't get in too soon. In recent decades... <laughs> The painting had been temporarily moved to accommodate uh, accommodate renovations. So in 1992 and 95 and 2001 and 2005 and in 2019. So now there's a new queuing system that uh, started in 2019. Reduces the amount of time museum visitors have to wait in line to see the painting. So Mark, after going through the queue, a group has about blank to see the painting. Um... 45 seconds. Close. 30 seconds. Wow. To take in the Mona Lisa. Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> wow. We we went to uh, the Broad, which is a um, uh, museum of modern art mm. down in, in Los Angeles, and they had a exhibition that you had to sign up for, everything, and I think, I think we got 45 seconds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. So yes, you will get 30 seconds to see the painting. Um, it's kept under a climate controlled conditions in both in a bulletproof uh, glass case. 
the humidity is between is maintained at 50 percent plus or minus 10 percent and the temperature is between 18 and 21 celsius which is 69 fahrenheit nice <laughs> to compensate for fluctuations in relative humidity the case is supplemented with a bed of silica gel hmm. treated to provide 55 percent relative humidity uh 1977 there was an insect infestation in um in the frame <laughs> that had just been dormant in the wood that was used oh, to create no. the frame and so it it crawled out and the um but they got rid of that uh now it's illuminated by an led lamp uh specifically designed for the painting it has a color rendering index of up to 98 per of nine up to 98 this says giving no <laughs> markers of what that means degrees ergs ergs and minimizes infrared and ultraviolet radiation. Uh, about six million people view the painting at the Louvre every year. And so uh, the percentage of guests that visit the Louvre, how many of them specifically go and only see the Mona Lisa? What it's, percentage? It's probably more than 50. I'm, uh, I'll say 55%. Okay. So 9.3 in 2014, 9.3 million people visited the Louvre and the director reckoned that 80% of the people only want to see the Mona Lisa. So wow. it used to be insured uh, between 1961 or two and 63 cause it was on a uh, tour. So it was a uh, hundred million dollars back then. So it's about $650 million now making it the most valued painting in the world. Um, but now, oh, and I pasted it somewhere now, can't find it, but um, it now technically, I think, does not have a value because there is some law that you cannot sell art now like that, hmm. <laughs> which I'm assuming was written by the Louvre <laughs> so <laughs> for, that they could never... For the Mona Lisa. Right. right. So that I, I, it kind of fell apart there as, as part hmm. of what is what what and what could not be sold. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's, and I think what it all comes down to is not just the story of the robbery. Everything that I read from the art criticism to, to people's reaction is that little enigmatic smile that right. kind of disappears. The eyes kind of follow you. It's all those little subtle things that are painted in it just kind of makes it this thing of intrigue. And especially since they weren't sure of the story for so long, that helps it become part of the mystery. And then once it explodes in the media, then that's the one thing everybody knows. So wow. that's the story of, of Mona Lisa. Yeah. I'd heard that it, it was stolen and recovered, but I didn't know that this, the history of the, the Italian Patriot. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's great. The reasoning behind it. And there is like there was lots and lots about the controversies of how many uh, one of uh, one of the spectroscopes or whatever that they use to like look through the different layers. In the very first version, her head and hands are bigger, and she's wearing like some sort of elaborate kind of veil with all of these pin uh, hairpins in. Okay, and there's still a couple spots that they showed up close that you can still see, see some the of the hairpins. Huh. that were used but then that was unusual because 
only uh, saints or sainted I, can women can can women be saints now? Yeah. Okay. Saint Could they back then? Saint I, Mary, I, think, I guess his mother. Yeah. Anyway, but only saints would be able to would be wearing a veil like that in a portrait. So for a long time, they couldn't figure out, well, was this painted after somebody's death to show them kind of in a, in a more godly or more mm. heavenly light because of the pose and because of some of the details in one that they wonder if it's the original or a second copy um, in that version. And I think it might be the one that Raphael sketched. Da Vinci would use a color called Leonardo. It's a specific kind of green and there's a stitch pattern. Like when you get into the details of like making the stitching around, you know, elbows and elaborate things like that, a, a, a stitch called the Da Vinci stitch. So basically he would sign his paintings by using that color Leonardo and that stitch pattern Da Vinci. Oh, and funny. the one that Raphael sketched and this other one that they're wondering, maybe this is a second copy has those things. So it's a whole intriguing story behind the, the, that little smile that we all know so much. So totally. Huh? Anyway, that was a little trip down art lane. Um, but That's once again, cool. yes, thank you to the Not Nerd Podcast for handling, even up to today, when trying to figure out how to get my shovel to work, has been on the receiving end of a barrage of tantrumy emails where <laughs> Todd is forced to uh, reconcile with the technology of the future. So go listen to them. Their show is great. It's always fun to listen to. Uh, check out also Fun Employment Radio, where our show is heard, uh, this one, and Portland at the Movies. So we will be, oh, the movie, did I, t I was telling you a little bit. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I as it was it. uploading, uh, I, it involves, I think, time travel and a robot, but the robot is just clearly a human in some sort of robot costume. So I'm very excited. It's called like Backtrace or Backtime or something like that. Okay. But look for that at the end of the month. Um, do you have the Unipiper has anything coming up? Uh, on the 14th, no, on the 21st, which is two Saturdays from now, March 4th, March, good grief, March 21, 21, 21, uh, I'm going to be at Movie Madness for a little VHS swap. Uh, that's a Saturday afternoon, the 21st of March. So come out and say hi there. And if you haven't been to Movie Madness, come see it because they have that whole little viewing area, which is, I think, will be set up. But it's really, really an amazing space. Uh, and if you've never been there, this is a great excuse. So come check that out. I don't think we have any more, do we? No, I think uh, I think that's it. Oh, oh! Uh, in order to protect yourself, you don't want to be what? Vulnerable. So don't be vulnerable against that coronavirus. Wash your hands with soap. It will literally dissolve the It'll the virus into goo that kill cannot. The COVIDs. It will kill the covids. So um, I'm going to take us out with this clip again. We will see you guys next time. Bye bye. After the break, we're going to interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. So we'll hear about that coming okay. up. Okay. As we head to the break, I'll look at the six o'clock. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bye-bye.